All right, go church. You feel good this Memorial Day weekend? Come on. All right. Don't get up and leave or log off just because I'm not Pastor JC. He'll be back here next week, okay? It'll hurt my feelings. I'll develop a complex. Don't do that to me. Hey, uh, welcome every single one of you uh, that are here in person at any of our campuses, South Metro, Westside Atlanta, Germantown, Maryland. We love all of our campuses here. So if you're just a part of Go Church, just say yeah. Come on, yeah, I like it a lot. It is so good to be here today, uh, and it is Memorial Day weekend, and so that's why I know a lot of you right now, you're tuning in from the beach somewhere. That's fine. Enjoy it, and uh, just make sure you get back here in time for first Wednesday and first Saturday this week happening at both campuses. It's going to be awesome, so make sure you're a part of those gatherings. And then it's really important for me, before I go any further, it, this is more than just a weekend where we get an extra day off of work or out of school uh, just for the sake of it. Uh, there's something really important that we're celebrating this weekend and that's Memorial Day and we always pause to honor all of our brave military men and women all of our first responders but this week we're going to do something special we want to honor those families that have lost someone whether it's recently or, or years decades centuries ago that have fought for the freedom in our country listen if, if we don't pause every year to do this what will happen is we will start to devalue the freedom that we walk in. And, and here's the thing. If we haven't ever been affected by the loss of a loved one that serves in the military, we get to walk around in blissful ignorance of how much it really costs for us to have that blissful ignorance. So if you're active duty or a retired veteran, I want you to stay seating. I want the rest of us. Can we stand on our feet, all campuses, and just honor all of our military families, especially those that have fallen? For our freedom. God sees your sacrifice. We see your sacrifice. We love you and we thank you so much. So much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, you can, uh, you can go ahead and, and grab a seat. Uh, we're going to continue in our Ask Away series. Uh, this is a really fun series. Every year for Easter, uh, we do an uh, annual Easter survey where we ask you to tell us what you want to hear preached about uh, in our Ask Away series. And one of the topics that was one of the highest topics that you asked for was this right here, anxiety and depression. And uh, obviously, the fact that so many people responded to this means this is something we've got to pay attention to. And I'm going to spend time talking about it. And uh, to be honest, I have a lot of content that I want to get through today. So I'm challenging you to stay tuned in for the next three and a half, four hours. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be 45 minutes max, right? We'll get you out of here. But this is such an important topic to talk about. And so before I jump in, I got to give you a couple of, of things and, and precedents to this. Number one is this right off the bat. Can we go ahead and just remove the stigma off of depression and mental health and anxiety? Because listen, if you're battling this, that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual enough. It means you're getting hit with an illness just like anyone else that has a fever or a cold or any sort of illness. It's an illness. And we don't need to demonize people that are walking through this. This is hard. This isn't something that people ask for. So we've got we've to remove that stigma. And another thing I want us to do, I'm going to show you some statistics. And I want us to, to really start to feel a little bit more sensitivity to those that are facing this. Let me show you a couple of facts about depression. And I did a lot of research this week leading up to this. These are some facts from the Anxiety and Depression Association of America and the National Institute of Mental Health. These are facts right here. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide. Number one source of disability is depression. Number two, America, let this sink in. The land of the free, 
the home of the brave. America has the second highest depression rate in the world, second only to the nation of Ukraine that is going through a just absolutely terrible situation right now with war, and, and obviously we continue praying for, for them. We are the second highest depression rate in the entire world. More money than we know what to do with, but it doesn't make us happy. 21% of, 21%, that's almost one-fourth of Americans develop a major depressive disorder. 4.1 million adolescents, ages 12 to 17, our teenagers, our youth, middle schoolers and high schoolers, 4.1 million had at least one major depressive episode in 2020. And then in 2020, an estimated 1.2 million Americans attempted suicide and 45,979 were successful. That means almost 126 people per day, just in the year 2020 alone, committed suicide. Church, this is serious. So we have got to do a couple of things. We have got to allow this to break our hearts. This should break us. This should hurt us. This should grieve us that our young people are going through this. And church, I'm challenging you, all the Christians in the room, you got to get past all of the dismissive remarks and the thoughts that we have towards this. Let me tell you a couple of things I'm begging you to remove from your vocabulary. One is this, just, just cheer up. Stop being so sad all the time, right? Look, that doesn't work. You think people want to be depressed, right? Like, don't tell someone, cheer up. That doesn't, that doesn't work. It's not good enough. It's dismissive. It's, it's making it seem like they're choosing this. Another one is this. Well, we've all got problems. We've all got problems. Don't tell me about all your, we've all got problems. That is so dismissive. Guys, that is not the attitude of Christ. Christ didn't sit up in heaven while you were stuck in your sin and while I was stuck in my sin and say, look, Hey, you caused this. You got to figure it out. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, look, it's just, you got to deal with it. No, he stepped into our mess because he cared. Because our brokenness broke him. And so we've got to be a little bit more sensitive here. We've got to be a little bit more sensitive because people are hurting and they're dying because of the epidemic of depression. And another one that I want Christians to stop saying, okay? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Prayer works. Prayer changes things, and I'm going to talk about that today. Don't hear what I'm not saying. However, it is dismissive and just kind of passive-aggressive to tell someone, well, you're just not praying hard enough. Well, if you would just pray harder, then you would get freed from it. Listen, that is oversimplistic. Don't be so oversimplistic and insensitive to this. There is a lot more going on than just the prayer life. Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Prayer matters, and we'll talk about that today. But depression is such a complex illness. It's a lot more than just a regular illness because there's a lot of factors that go into this. There is a chemical component and a chemical imbalance that happens with depression. There is physical components of depression and lifestyle changes that can be made. There's seasonal depression that hits people in various seasons. There's emotional depression that's induced by trauma that people face. When you're insensitive to the pain they're going through, you have no idea what happened to them when they were a child. You have no idea the phone call that they just had. You have no idea what that loved one just said to them this last weekend so be a little bit more sensitive and empathetic when people are going through these things and there's also a spiritual component and I want you to know this all of those other components are real but I promise you 
God is real, and that means that spiritual warfare is real. And I really genuinely believe that spiritual warfare plays a component in depression. And we're going to talk about that today as well. So it's very complex. You cannot treat just one component of depression. You have to treat it holistically. And I want to look at that today. I want to give you a promise. For those of you that are going through a season of depression right now, watching online, sitting in this room with me, sitting at any of our campuses, I promise you I want to approach this with such sensitivity because I know that probably so many people have dismissed you. We're not dismissing you here. We're sensitive to the pain that you're going through. However, I've got some really pointed things that I genuinely believe. I think God has some pointed things that can genuinely help relieve some of this. And I think even some of you can walk in freedom starting today when we implement some of these things. And so as we do it, just, just stay tuned in here. Another thing I want to say is this. I'm not an expert. I, I'm not standing up here saying that I'm a psychologist or a therapist or a mental health expert. I'm a pastor. And I read the word, and I spent hours and hours and hours, and it's Memorial Day weekend, and I didn't spend any time with my wife, because I was studying for this, because I want to get this right, because I think eternity is hanging in the balance, and freedom is hanging in the balance for so many of you. So I did a lot of research and a lot of studying, and I came across one resource that was super helpful in me putting some thoughts together, and it's this book by Stephen Alardi, and it's called The Depression Cure, The Six-Step Program to Beat Depression Without Drugs. Now, he is not, nor am I, against the use of medicine to help relieve the, the effects of depression. That's not what my sermon is about, but that's for a psychiatrist to assess, not for me. So I'm not saying we, we do away with medicine. But what I did discover in this book is something very interesting. It's lifestyle-induced. Check out this quote from the book. We were never designed for the sedentary indoor, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. It is no secret that life is not designed to be lived the way that we're living. There's a song by uh, Rascal Flatts that I used to listen to as a kid and it's called Mayberry. And it used to, it, it said this, Sunday was a day of rest. Now it's one more day for progress. And we can't slow down because more is best. And it's all an endless process. And what that means is, man, we're just moving too fast, too much fast food, too much of everything. And so if depression is largely caused by our lifestyle choices, then it can be largely treated with some lifestyle choices and decisions. Now, enough of the TED Talk. I want to preach today. I'm not here to give you some scientific presentation. I want to preach the word. And we're going to look at the prophet Elijah from the Old Testament because this is a powerful prophet that had a season of depression. And God treated his depression, and he was healed from it. And I want to look at him as a case study today. So our reading is going to come from 1 Kings chapter 19. But before we read that, i got to tell you what happened in chapter 18, because it will really set the scene. Basically, in chapter 18, Elijah is a bad dude. There was, uh, there was a bunch of people in Israel, almost the whole nation of Israel, started to worship this false god, Baal. And there was 450 prophets of Baal and then Elijah. And they had a standoff. They had a showdown. Elijah was like, enough is enough. You're going to choose today who you're going to serve. So prophets of Baal, set up an altar for your God. I'm going to set up an altar to, to the real God, the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to see which God sends fire down. And Elijah even soaked his with water to make it even tougher. So the prophets of Baal tried to get fire from heaven. Didn't work because Baal's not real. Come on, somebody. So that failed. Elijah, and I love it because he's a trash talker. And that's how I, I am like that a little bit too. You know, don't, don't mess with me, you know, on the ping pong table or anything like that because I'm going to make you feel bad about yourself. So Elijah's doing that, right? He's taunting them. He's like, maybe you're not praying hard enough, right? All, maybe he's sleeping, all these things. 
So then God shows up when Elijah prays, fire falls from heaven. A powerful, undeniable miracle takes place, and Elijah has all the prophets of Baal put to death. The highest of highs for Elijah. And then we get into verse, or in chapter 19, and this is what happens. I'm going to read this whole chapter, or most of it. Don't do that thing where when the preacher reads a lot of scripture, you tune out. Okay, don't do that. Be, be a good boy and girl. Okay, here we go. First Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, she's the villain, she's, she's so bad, okay, don't, we don't like her. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. You killed my prophets, I'm about to kill you, just like you killed them. Now Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. He was so brave and bold in chapter 18, and now all of a sudden, he's struck with fear from the threat of one person, and we're going to talk about that. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. So he's, he's wanting death. He's asking God for death. I've had enough. I'm done. Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than that of my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and then strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 9, There, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore, through the, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said the same thing again. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Israelites rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael as king. Also anoint Jehu as king. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, to succeed you as a prophet. So Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. And then the last verse. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So, a lot of reading there. What's going on here? Elijah, in chapter 18, bold, standing before 450 prophets with, cur with courage, sees an undeniable miracle, and then the threat from one lady m makes him slip into this deep depression, and he goes on the run, and he wants to die. What happened? What changed? I want to look at Elijah as a case study today for a couple of potential triggers of depression that happened for him and that could happen to you and I. And I want to look at the way God treated his depression in the case study because I think God's treatments for Elijah is the same thing we could use today. So what do we got to look at? Elijah is in a dangerous situation, 
but it wasn't more dangerous than chapter 18. He wasn't in more danger. So it wasn't that the danger is triggering the depression. There was something else going on. And in one of the commentaries I read, uh, the theologian said that Elijah had assumed that the miracle that took place on Mount Carmel, when fire fell from heaven, he assumed that that would lead to a conversion of the entire nation and that no one else would want to persecute the followers of God, the followers of Yahweh. Elijah thought that miracle would be the once and for all, this is it. Surely now the fight's over. Like surely now this will be it. And when Jezebel threatens his life, he gets discouraged. Why is that? The first trigger we got to be aware of. Unmet expectations. Elijah falsely expected God to use a miracle to fulfill Elijah's plans for his people. And it wasn't that Elijah had bad plans. But Elijah had a plan for his people and God didn't line up with Elijah's plans. And it led to his discouragement and eventually his depression. Does that sound familiar for any of you? Here are some things probably floating through Elijah's head that I think floats through your heads at times when God, because if I were to interview all of you, I bet you would all have some unmet expectations. You expected God to do one thing, and he did something completely different. Here are some things floating through his mind that might be floating through yours if you're struggling with unmet expectations. Elijah probably doubted that things will ever get better. He said, you know what? If fire from heaven can't get you to start following God, I don't think it ever will. I don't think you ever will. And just that, that doubt that it'll ever get better. This, is, this must be as good as it gets. I can't believe this. Led to depression. Maybe he started feeling like his whole career as a prophet was now meaningless because he couldn't fix the problem. So as everything, his life's work was down the drain because it was never going to end. People were still going to disobey and persecute those, those followers of God. I think Elijah also started to slip into depression because he came to grips with the fact that he doesn't have as much control as he craved. He wanted to be able to control a situation and use God's miracles to bring about Elijah's plan. And when he realized he doesn't have that much control, it really bothered him. All my control freaks out there, I'm with you. I think that if I'm a good enough person and if I'm zealous enough for the Lord, everything will go the exact way that I planned. But I'm telling you right now, that is not the way that it works. And if that's your expectation, you're going to get let down. So the final one is this. And I think this is the worst one of all. I think for Elijah, he lost a little bit of his zeal for the Lord because he thought God was supposed to do something that he didn't do. And he was like, man, I've been zealous for you and you didn't even show up. Like, what is going on? How are you letting this happen when I was being zealous for you? And I wish I had time to unpack this, but if you're struggling with unmet expectations, just for time's sake, I gotta put it to you bluntly. Just know that I love you, okay, I care about you. This is about to go down like Robitussin. It's gonna taste bad, but it's gonna do your soul some good. You ready for it? God does not owe you anything. He doesn't owe you anything. God does not owe your expectations anything. God does not have to meet your expectations to be good. He is a good God when he meets your expectations and when he doesn't because he is not coming under submission of your will. You are supposed to come under submission to his. And if you live your life thinking if you can be a good enough person and pray good enough prayers and pray passionate enough prayers that God somehow gets on board with your plan, you are going to experience depression and you might even walk away on your faith because you got it twisted, you should align to what God's will is, not wanting God to align with your will. And here's the most, yeah, come on. And here's my favorite thing about this. And I want you to think about this. If God always met your expectations, then he would never exceed them. You have this much expectation of God, 
right? You think God, if God would just do this much, then he would be good. But guess what? God has this much expectation, not just for your life, but for the entire world. And when you think that he should stay in your box, he can never blow your box out of the water. His plans are so much better than your plans. So why don't you just trust that he's a good God, even when your expectations don't get met? Listen, I know, I know it hurts so bad and I'm not being insensitive to the pain of your unmet expectations. I've had it happen as well, but I am telling you this, the return of Jesus, and I'm kind of spoiling the end here, the return of Jesus solves it all because all the pain that you're feeling only intensifies the joy that is coming because when he returns, it will be almost like if you woke up from your worst nightmare and all the things you thought you lost get restored and the life that you all always wanted you get that and then some because he is not just going to meet your expectations he is going to exceed them altogether because he's a good God somebody shout amen if you believe he's a good God so what else triggered Elijah's depression I I love this one this is the one that I can relate to the most with Elijah and maybe you're like me he replied this was Elijah I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty Israelites rejected your covenant tore down your altars Put, uh, put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I, you know what I have in common with Elijah? Maybe you do too. Uh, Elijah's a little bit dramatic right here, okay? And so am I. I, I. I can be a little bit of a drama queen at times because look at God's response just four verses later. God says, no, I've reserved 7,000 people, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not I have not kissed him. God says, Elijah, you're not the only one, bro. Come on. Like, yeah, you are not the only one. Just calm down, Elijah. Like, I know that it hurts a little bit. You need to hear this. You are unique, and Elijah was unique, and your story, is, or you are unique, but your story is not Okay? You are a unique person, but your story is not unique. There are a lot of people that go through similar things. You cannot think that you're the only one. And so the problem for Elijah, one thing that triggered his depression was this, his unexamined feelings. His unexamined feelings. Elijah felt like he was the only one. He felt like he was in this thing alone, but just because he felt like that didn't mean it was actually true. There were 7,000 other people that were faithful to God in that season. And what you have to do is this kind of Christianese saying of taking every thought captive. And what that means is this. When you get a feeling that pops into your head, you need to say, even say it out loud and say, okay, I know I feel this, but is this true? Like, is it actually true? Am I actually the only one or am I just a little bit dramatic right now? Because here's something I want you to know. Your feelings are real, but they are not always true. Your feelings are real, but they're not always true. Listen, and I'm saying this just for fun, okay, so don't think I'm actually mad. I love kind of the generational wars and picking on different generations. Boomers, I know that millennials, my generation, I know that we drive you crazy. I know that. And to be honest, my generation drives me crazy too. But I want you to take a little bit of ownership, boomers, because here's what you told us. You told us in all the Disney movies and all the songs, you kept telling us, follow your heart, Follow your feeling. You can be anything you want to be if you just put your mind to it. Your feelings, let your feelings tell you what's true. And that is the worst advice ever, okay? Stop following your heart. Your heart is a deceiver. Your heart doesn't even know what it wants. Your feelings are real, but they're not always true, okay? So stop following your heart. Terrible advice. Anytime you hear that, I want you to gag a little bit, okay, from now on. Follow your heart. Terrible advice. 
Trust what is true. Follow what is true, not what you feel. Ask yourself, is this true? Because peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person. Jesus is peace. So when you're in the storm, you don't need a feeling of peace. You need the person and the prince of peace to get in that storm with you. That's whenever things start to go well for you. We need Jesus in the midst of it. God is what is true, not your feelings. So Let's keep going here. I told you I got a lot. I'm going to talk fast. You can watch it on replay and just slow down the speed if you need to. (laughs) Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Typical guy. Right here, right? Come on, fellas. I'm preaching to, ladies, is it okay if I preach to your husbands and your sons and your, your, your fathers and all? I'm going to preach to the fellas for just a second. Ladies, sit this play out. Gentlemen, what are we doing? What? There's only one person there with Elijah that's there to help him, and you walk away from him? Fellas, we've got to stop doing this because one trigger for depression is your isolation. You are choosing to isolate yourself, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And you do it in the name of masculinity. So, yeah, I know you can skin a buck and run a trout line and eat your dehydrated meats and all that good stuff. But if you think you're stronger alone, you are deceived, you are foolish, and I want you to just be challenged by this. You need people around you. You are stronger together. We are unapologetically relational beings. You are made in the image of God. And I wish I could get into the theology of this, but guess what? God is three in one. God in his own being is a relational being, and you are made in his image. You were made for relationships with each other. So miss me with that whole, I don't need nobody. Or even ladies, you're guilty of that whole, I'm a strong, independent woman. I don't need nobody. Like, miss me with that. Come on, that's isolation. You're weaker by yourself. We're stronger when we are together. Here's a couple of reasons people choose to isolate. If you're in here and you think that you're better off alone because you don't want to burden anybody, lies, lies. I don't know about other churches, but here in this church, hurting people are not a burden. Sinful people are not a burden. I'm one of them. There is no one in here that is a burden on this family. We are here to meet the needs of our community. You are not a burden. Please let us know. You might choose to isolate because you feel like no one notices anyways. You feel forgotten. You are not forgotten. God knows everything you've ever prayed. He's seen every tear, and he is just as close as the mention of his name. You are not forgotten. And then, gentlemen, you're not stronger by yourself. Ladies, you're not stronger by yourself. That's why, fellas, every year we're going to do this right here, the Man Up Conference. Coming up in about two weekends, and you've got to get here. You got to sign up. Germantown, Pastor Eric and Pastor Josh are taking you through Man Up Conference up there. There are some spots available. Sign up on our website. Fellas in this room, South Metro, and even if you're on the west side of Atlanta, drive on down because right here in this room, I'd like to see 250 men that are getting in community together. And yeah, they might go golfing and fishing together, but they're going to read the word together. And we're going to have a great time getting in the presence of God and getting into community. You need this. Get here and stop isolating yourself. All right? So let's keep going here. I got one more, and this is my favorite one because I'm going to get on one of my soapboxes here for a second. You're going to get to see me rant and rave because it's Memorial Day and we're going to go eat a cookout later. He came to a broom bush. This is Elijah. Sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Can't take any more. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He just admitted what he thought gave his life value. 
Elijah thought, and I don't know where this came from, he thought the only way that he could have any value is if he was better than all the ancestors. He didn't want to just be a great prophet. He wanted to be the greatest prophet. And this is one of your triggers of depression right here, comparison. Comparison is a, oh my goodness, it is going to steal your joy. Who in the world told Elijah that his value was based on if he was the greatest prophet of all time? The answer, pride. Pride is the author of comparison, and comparison is the thief of joy. And I love what, I can't preach it any better than C.S. Lewis did. Check out this quote right here. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're only proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. In other words, you're not excited about what you have. You only feel good whenever you're standing next to someone that isn't as good, right? I only feel strong when I'm standing next to someone who isn't. All right, you only feel pretty when you're standing next to someone who isn't quite as pretty, right? They didn't wake up like you did, right? Like they didn't feel that good. Look, we got to get past this comparison. It's nonsense, and it's triggering your depression. And I am telling you, I don't think it's a coincidence. This is my soapbox. You ready for this? I sneak this into every sermon I can because I just think it's the solution. But I know you're not going to do this. But I don't think it's a secret that when social media got invented, the numbers of depression didn't go way up. I am telling you right now, if you want to stop feeling comparison traps and you want to stop slipping into depression, just get off. You don't need, I promise you, listen, I deleted my social media, and this doesn't make me better than you, but for me, I deleted my social media like two years ago, and I, I am telling you, freedom reigns in the Waldrop house because of that. I, I don't need your likes. If you want to know what my family's doing, just follow my wife. It's only pugs and, and like food that we eat, and that's about it, but I am telling you right now, I could preach to you a whole TED Talk on some of the effects of depression or of uh, social media about how clinical studies have shown that social media makes your body release dopamine, which is highly addictive and highly numbing. Social media is literally numbing your mind and numbing your soul, and it's forcing you to compare your bloopers to everyone else's highlight reel. Bottom line, even if you don't delete your social media, comparison is going to make you slip into depression. You are not valuable because of being better than anyone else. You're valuable because Jesus said you are valuable enough to, to give his own life to save you. You don't get to determine your value. They don't get to determine your value. Jesus did. He said you were worth the price of his own blood. Thank Jesus right now for his blood. So... Let's look at how, we've talked about the triggers. Let's get to some good news. I like this next one right here. How did God treat Elijah's depression here? Let's look at what God did. Then he lay down, Elijah, under the bush, and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Oh, I like that advice. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread, missed me with that keto diet, baked over the hot coals, and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and then strengthened by that food. His circumstances didn't change, but his food changed him. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, let me just recap for you what just happened here. Because Elijah was in a dark place and nothing in his circumstances changed. But he took a nap and then he ate food. And then he drank water, and then he took another nap, and then he ate more food, and then he drank more water. So, 
This one is going to sting a little bit too, but here we go. You want to know a good treatment for depression? Get physically healthy. You need to get healthy. I'm coming for you. Here we go. You ready for this? And I'm coming for me too. But there, the, the, the most effective and natural remedies for depression are, are a lot related to your physical health. Sleep, diet, and exercise. You need sleep, you need a good diet, and you need to exercise. Losing sleep is having a serious effect on the mental health of Americans everywhere. So now, millennials, Gen Z, here you go. Go to bed, all right? Go to bed. Put the phone away. Buy a normal alarm clock so you don't even need it by your bedside. Charge it in the living room. Go to bed. If you're awake past 1030, ain't nothing good happening anyways, okay? So go to bed. Get some sleep. And then your diet. Look, the way you eat, think about this, guys. I mean, the saying you are what you eat What you eat is just true. If you eat a bunch of junk, you were not designed to consume the amount of chemicals, sugars, and fats that we put into our body. It is affecting your mood, and it's affecting your energy level. And look, I've been living here in Georgia for two months now, and I am telling you, I don't understand why everything has to be deep fried, covered in butter and salt and sugar, because I've gained five pounds just by living here in Georgia in two months. It's ridiculous. We've got, we've got to care about the way we eat. I'm not saying to be overly obsessed with it, but look, you might be eating yourself into depression. I really think that that is true. And I just want to say this to the Christians in the room. Uh, Self-control is a spiritual fruit that applies to a lot more than just alcohol and your anger. Uh, It applies to what you eat. You should have some self-control. It's time for us to start showing that. I didn't expect a lot of amens there, but but it is true. And then exercise. Look at this quote about exercise from this book. Exercise is a medicine that's more powerful than any pill you could take. In fact, if there was a pill that provided all the benefits of exercise, it would be the greatest selling pill of all time. You know what, you know what exercise does for you? It is uh, dopamine and serotonin signaling. There's an antidepressant effect, enhanced mental sharpness, and anti-aging effects. You don't even need that wrinkle cream anymore. Just go work out. Go to the gym. Elijah's circumstances didn't change at all, but he was strengthened by the way that he ate. So here you go. You want to know what this one is? Go home, take a nap, eat some carbs, and then take another nap. Come on, in Jesus' name. Amen. That's what we need right here. Let's see how else God treated Elijah's depression. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. And I love this. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asked Elijah, what are you doing? Because he knew this. And then Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord, and, and we've read this a couple of times, but Elijah just starts pouring out his heart because that's another treatment, and I love that God asked him, Elijah, what are you doing? He gave him a chance to open up, and that's another treatment. You gotta pour your heart out. You need to pour your heart out, okay? Uh, so many things that I wanna say here. There's three places you need to pour your heart out, like saying it out loud with words. One, and first and foremost, is to God because prayer genuinely changes things. Don't listen to what America says. Prayer works, it does change things. Don't stop praying and say it out loud to God. It's okay to lament. It's okay to mourn out loud. It's okay to bring your bad feelings to God. He can handle it. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. Read Job. Read what Job said to God. Read what David writes in Psalms. Just say it out loud to God. Process it with God. And you need to pour your heart out to a therapist. If you're struggling with depression, we have life back counseling available right here. Even if you're online, there's Zoom calls that they'll do for you. Whatever you need to do, find a Christian counselor somewhere and start talking to a therapist because you need to express this stuff out loud and get yourself a Christian community because depression is affecting your mind. And when you try to fight depression in your mind, this is what happened. It thrives when you try to fight it on its home field, your mind. 
There's, in sports, there's this thing called home court advantage. And if you want to know about it, look at the Golden State Warriors right now because they don't lose when they play at home. Why is that? Because you, when you're in your home environment, you're strengthened. Depression's home field is in your mind. And if you only try to fight it with good vibes or you try to manifest whatever these weird words that we're throwing out now, try to manifest your own good feelings in your mind, it doesn't work. Process it out loud. Don't fight depression in here. Get it out loud. Because when you get it out loud, the emotions aren't out here clouding your judgment. They're in here clouding your judgment. Okay? So get it out. Pour your heart out because that will help you out. I wish I could spend more time on that. But I'm telling you, if you'll pour your heart out to God, to a therapist, and to some Christian community, you get some Christian friends, it will suffocate depression out of your life. Let's keep looking here. What else did God tell him? How did God treat it? I love this one. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. There's a great and powerful wind that tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord wasn't in the fire. The Lord showed up in a gentle whisper. What did Elijah need so badly? He needed to get in the presence of God. He needed the presence of God. And look, if you're new to church and you say, okay, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to get in the presence of God? Let me rapid fire a couple of thoughts out because I'm running low on my time here. But this is so, so important because in the presence of God, there is, like we just sang, there's fullness of joy. There is, there is hope that never fades. When you get in the presence of God, everything changes. Here's a couple of thoughts for you. Number one, can you, and I realize I'm saying this to a group of people that are actually in church, but can we please stop skipping church whenever it's an inconvenient? Like, can we stop skipping church when it rains? Now, you're here, so you did it. You give yourself a pat on the back, but like, we, I just, it doesn't even make sense to me that as a Christian, like, if you're actually a follower of Jesus, that church is just so expendable on our calendar. Like, the first thing when we start feeling busy, the first thing that goes is church. When God told us he inhabits the praises of his people and you're not getting in the presence of God just because you want to stay home because it's raining outside, like, I, I don't know. I just, that, that doesn't make sense to me. So if you're a Christ follower, stop skipping church. Come to church. We love you. We care about you. And we'll love you even if you don't come. But man, God's presence is in this place and you can feel it every single Sunday. Another thing you need to understand about the presence of God is there is no formula for how the presence of God manifests or what it looks like when he shows up. If Elijah would have assumed that in chapter 18, that okay, God always shows up as fire, guess what? In chapter 19, God wasn't in the fire. So God's presence showed up in a gentle whisper. 18, it was in fire, and then it showed up in 19 as a gentle whisper. And so I just want to tell you this. Some of you, you need to expand a little bit about what God looks like and about what God is able to do. Because for some of us, we go to one of two things, right? Some of us, we think God can only be in the fire. So we think he's only in the room if everyone's shouting and screaming and running and all that stuff. And look, I've been in those moments and I love it. Give me more of that. I love me some church. But I'm telling you this, he's the same God that's in a gentle whisper. And then there are others of you that you only want God to be that gentle whisper. And I want you to know this. There are times where God wants to show up and he wants to do something. And it's okay to move around a little bit. It's okay to have some fun because getting in the presence of God is powerful. All we need to know is this. Elijah wasn't saved by his theology. He got saved because he got in the presence of God. And you need to understand this. You don't have God figured out. He's going to show up however and whenever he wants to. And you just need to try to put yourself in the place where he's going to show up. Because when he does, everything changes. So let's be a church that tries to get into the presence of God. Come on out here, Joseph. Tickle the ivories for me. I'm about to land this plane here. So now that Elijah 
God has Elijah's attention, what is God going to do to actually heal Elijah's depression? Let's look at it. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, go to the desert. When you get there, anoint Hazael as king, anoint Jehu as a king, and then you need to anoint Elisha to be your, your successor. So what does God do? Does God zap Elijah with these good feelings, with warm, fuzzy vibes? Does he just all of a sudden say, boom, you feel better? No, that's not what God's treatment of depression is. What does God do to treat depression? He helped Elijah discover a selfless purpose. He said, it's time for you to go and invest in other people. It's time for you to stop thinking about yourself. Now, this took place after God took care of his physical health, let him pour his heart out, and he got in the presence of God. So God met Elijah's personal needs, and then God said, look, Elijah, if you really want to walk in freedom, you got to stop thinking about your own problems so much. Because if the only thing you ever think about in your life is your own problems, that's all you're ever going to think about. And of course that's going to mess you up. When you believe the lie that, again, and I love you boomers, I'm, this is just for fun, but, but you sang songs that, that made us feel like self-love is the best thing, right? The Whitney Houston song, go listen to it later, the greatest love of all. I love that song. It sounds awesome, but she tells us in that song, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. And that is, sounds good, and it's a catchy tune, and I listen to it all the time, but that's a lie from the enemy. That is not the greatest love of all. Look, obviously, and I hope you hear my heart well enough to know this whole sermon has been about make sure you take care of your needs and these are the ways to do that. You need to be confident. I'm not saying think that you're a terrible person. Be confident. Take care of yourself. But the answer, the antidote to depression is not more self-love. It's self-forgetfulness. You need a purpose that has nothing to do with you because you got to get out of your own head. This is the problem. You want to know why relationships and why marriage is, honestly, it's, it's such a joke in our culture these days. It's such a contract because we are all so obsessed with our own self-love that we become consumers. So everything and everyone around us, every relationship we get into becomes transactional. And it says, okay, what can you do to make me feel good about myself? So two people get into a relationship hoping to pull something out of the other person. And oh, look what happens. Separation. Who could have seen it coming? The only healthy, just like no matter what happens, just healthy, fulfilling relationship we have left in our American culture is a parent-to-child relationship. Why is that? Why are we so obsessed with our children? Because it's the only relationship we have left where parents invest into their children and expect nothing in return. You love your kids so much, and the only thing you're going to get from it is some macaroni art on Mother's Day, all right? That's the only thing you're getting out of your kids right now. Why do you love them so much? It's because you were wired with a purpose to serve others, not to be served by others, because we serve a God that served us instead of serving himself. And so when you have a child and you spend time in investing in that child, it feels so good to love them because you're doing your purpose. So imagine if we saw everyone else like we saw our children, if we would serve people without any expectation of anything in return, even if they don't say thank you, who cares? If you're doing it for the thanks, you're a consumer because you want that thank you to feel good about yourself. Servants of God don't need anything in return. So let's get past the transactional transactional relations. Just applause because I don't want to keep talking. You get it. You get what I'm saying, right? Have a purpose that's bigger than your problems. Now, one more treatment of depression. And this is a benefit that we have that Elijah didn't actually get to have this treatment because it hadn't happened yet for him. But the most effective treatment for depression, you wanna know what it is? 
Here's the secret I know about preaching. I know that you're going to walk out these doors. You're going to forget everything I just said. And I love you anyways, okay? I'm going to forget everything I just said probably. However, if there's one thing you cannot forget, it's this. Because this is the real answer for depression. It's the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the treatment for depression. Here's why. Elijah cared so deeply about his people, but he had limits to how far he was willing to go. Elijah said, you know what, God? I'm done. I'm throwing my hands up. I can't do it anymore. I can't do this journey anymore. Just take my life. It's over. I'm done serving my people. It's not working. But God was willing to do so much more for his people than Elijah. Let me show you some comparisons here. In verse 3, Elijah ran for his life to preserve his life, but Jesus willingly walked toward the cross to give up his life. In verse 4, Elijah prayed for God to take his life, but you know what the funny thing is? Elijah is one of two people in history that never died. Elijah didn't have to die. God took him straight to heaven at the end of his life. He never died. So God, Elijah asked God to take his life, and God actually sent him right into heaven. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for God to spare his life, yet God led him straight to a cross. Um, look, let's keep going here. Verse 6, Elijah received the bread that gave him life, and then Jesus' body was broken because he became the bread that gave us life. Elijah got bread. Jesus became the broken bread. Elijah got to drink water. Jesus became the living water as blood and water flowed from his side. Verse 7, the journey was too much for Elijah. And the fact of the matter is, it's too much for us today because God says, You only have to go this far. I'll take it from here. Jesus went all the way. Jesus took that journey for us. All He told us, Look, if you can just meet me at the cross, I'll go the rest of the way. Here's the beauty of the gospel the darkness of depression that we're experiencing. Remember when Psalmist David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? You know why you're only walking through the shadow of death? It's because Jesus blocked death from you. All you had to do is get hit by the shadow of death. Jesus took the only real and true death. And now when he comes back, and I hope that it's coming soon, but when he comes back, then he's going to bring his marvelous light. And all of the darkness of death that we think we face gets reborn. And we get to experience the glorious light of who he is. And the darkness gets lit up and illuminated. And we have to realize, wait a second, death wasn't real. I get to walk in life and he undoes death and resurrection comes and that is the hope of the gospel and if you don't have this you can do all the other stuff you can treat all these other needs and I think you should but I'm telling you if you want eternal cure for depression if you only do the first four things here then when Jesus comes back death is still a reality for you but if you have this, if you embrace this, then when Jesus comes back, all the death, all the pain, whether you were cured from your depression in this lifetime or not, depression melts away. Death melts away when Jesus returns. Embrace the gospel. That's my invitation for you today. So this is what I want to ask you. Closing question. What did the Holy Spirit speak to my heart today? And what next steps do I need to take in my faith journey? I want to ask you this. Do you have that hope? Do you know that whether it's, I think God can heal you from depression in this life or not. But even if he doesn't, one day Jesus is coming back and it melts away if we have a relationship with him. So this is what I want to ask you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on. We're closing here. If you have never embraced the hope of the gospel or if you'd like to recommit your life back to Jesus and you want to latch on to this hope and you don't want to let it go. If you're in here today or if you're online at any campus, 
I want you just to simply raise your hand up. No one's looking but me right now. Come on, if that's you, you say, you know what, I'm ready to embrace the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. Thank you for taking our journey way further than we ever could. Lord, all I can do is surrender. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that a lot of the pain I feel is caused by myself. But God, I believe that you are who you say you are. You're way better than Elijah. You're way better than me. You are the only one that is the solution. And so I commit my life to you today. We commit our lives to you today. Restore our hope, not in our circumstances, but in our Savior. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. And come on, let's sing about it. Let's shout about it because he's a healer. Come on.